Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. This week it's uh, Seventh Commandment, which is, you shall not commit adultery. That's verse 14. And, and this commandment that was given by God initially to the Israelites when they were out in the wilderness was given as a loving warning to them that if they were going to prosper as a nation, if they were going to prosper as a people, if they were going to glorify His name and all of that, then they needed to guard their marriages. They needed to have healthy marriages. Because why? Because healthy marriages are the foundation of healthy families. And healthy families are the building blocks of healthy societies. And so this warning that was given thousands of years ago to the Israelites is also applicable to us today, to the church today. And uh, God is basically saying that you need to guard your marriages. And have you ever noticed that you guard the things that are most valuable to you? I was going to the, the YMCA this week to work out and to, to try to stay in shape. And I took three of my most valuable possessions with me. Number one, I took my keys, my phone, and my wallet. Are those valuable to you guys? I'm always losing them, but they're valuable to me. But I took them, I guarded my wallet by hiding it in my vehicle and locking the doors within the confines of um, the, the vehicle. I also took my uh, keys and I put them, there's cubbies there that have a, a combination lock on them, but they're closed in on all sides, top, bottom, they're confined. And then I guarded my phone by keeping it with me while I was working out. And you know when you work out, sometimes you're wearing shorts and sweatpants. And I took the, the sweatpants and decided that I would just put them in. There's cubbies there that aren't guarded. Anybody can get to them. But I'm like, who's going to steal these pants? I mean, they're not that valuable. So I rolled them up, put them in there, worked out. Got home and realized, oh, man, I forgot my pants. I'll, I'll get them tomorrow. I mean, my sweatpants. You guys, my sweatpants. And I was like, it's, it's no big deal because, wait a minute. And I remembered, I had a $50 gift card in the back pocket. So now they're valuable to me, and I didn't guard them. And so I went back and said, and they weren't there. I went to Lawson Family, so we haven't seen them. The point I'm trying to get at is that I didn't see how valuable those pants were. So I didn't guard them, and I lost something that was valuable to me. And I think that that can be a picture of how we treat marriage sometimes not realizing its value. And God, and God is saying, listen, marriage is extremely valuable for many reasons, and so we need to stay on guard with our marriages because if we don't, much will be lost. And today we're going to be talking about the heavy subject, the weighty subject of adultery because of the devastation it brings, not just to married couples, but also to all that are attached to those uh, couples, children, family, friends, communities, and above all, if you're a part of the church, God's name is attached to that. Even if you're not a, a part of the church, we were all created in God's image. We're attached to God in some form or fashion. So adultery is 
is serious and it has serious consequences. Proverbs 6, verse 27 and 29 says this, speaking of adultery, can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? Can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched? So is he who sleeps with another man's wife. No one who touches her will go unpunished. The Word of God teaches, and this is just one verse, one passage that talks about adultery. It's a very, it has very serious consequences. And so God, in love, has given us commandments to guard us, to protect us for his glory and for our good. But you know the tragic thing about God's commandments is that many times they can be looked at, instead of being uh, loving protection for us, they can be looked at as being shackles and prisons. Uh, Not just by the world. Sometimes I can look at God's commandments. When I'm wanting to do something that he's said not to do, but I still want to, it can feel sometimes like God is holding back something good for me, even though that is not true. And CNN recently uh, reported on a group of people who decided that they wanted to set aside the Big Ten, God's Big Ten commandments. They wanted to set them aside and write their own commandments. Now, I'm not going to go through all ten of them, but I want to highlight two of them that stuck out to me of what they they came back and, and reported. Number five of their top ten commandments was God is not necessary. Okay, anytime a sentence starts that way, you church, you know it's going in the wrong direction. God is not necessary to be a good person or to live a full and meaningful life. Number nine, it says there is no one right way to live. There's no absolute truth, in other words. That's what's, those were two that stuck out to me. And, you know, when it comes to guarding our marriages, there are countless voices that are seeking to persuade us to let down our force shields and to, to realize that we don't need There's voices that are trying to uh, convince us, church, that we don't need the oppressive God of the Bible and his laws forced upon us in order to help us to have a full and meaningful marriage and life. Uh, For example, you may be aware of the, the Hollywood couple Will and Jada Smith. The only reason I'm bringing their names into the pulpit is because this is something that is well known within our culture. But they are, they are publicly flaunting before the world that, that their marriage and so-called love for one another is so progressive that they have evolved beyond monogamy and conventional marriage and have progressed to what they, what's called an open marriage. And they've said that they've given each other, which they don't have the right to do this, but they've given each other permission to have uh, relationships outside of their marriage. They've given each other, they would say, trust and freedom within their union because they would say that they don't want, they don't think that marriage should be a prison. That marriage should be a prison. And on the surface, this might sound freeing. It might sound liberating until you open the word of God, until you hear what God has to say about this. And I just want to point out um, that I, I believe that this couple believes this, and I'm not up here, you know, cursing the darkness. I'm just pointing out that this is one of those situations where they believe what they're teaching, but I would say that according to the Word of God, 
they're deceived. And the thing I'm most concerned about is that they are teaching this and other people are being deceived by it. They're teaching that the protective boundaries that God has set in marriage are meant to enslave. That God's boundaries are meant to take away our freedom. And if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. True freedom requires boundaries. True freedom always requires boundaries. Freedom is not the absence of boundaries. Freedom is preserved by healthy boundaries. And that that is boundaries that coincide with God's creative design. For example, we've all seen fish, right? Um, Fish thrive where? In the boundaries of water. You take a fish out of its boundaries and bring them into our world, eventually that fish, because it's been taken out of its boundaries, is going to die. And in a, in a similar way, God designed marriage to thrive in the boundaries of faithfulness and purity. You remove those two, those two boundaries, and marriages eventually die. So a lot of times people are like, well, you know, why do you Christians get so wrapped around the axle about sexual purity? And the, the real reason that we do, or we should, is because God does. That's, that's the reason. It's not something that we've come up with. It's something that we've seen that our God has said. These are, these are very important things. If you look at uh, Hebrews 13, verses 3 through 4, God says, Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral, that is, um, Adultery is sexual immorality, but the sexually immoral would also be anyone that's not married that is practicing sexual activity outside of marriage. So he will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. So we've talked, I've been mentioning the word adultery. So what, what exactly is adultery? What is the Bible talking about here? Well, adultery occurs when a married person violates their marriage covenant by being sexually unfaithful with someone who is not their spouse. It's, it's sexual int- intimacy where at least one of the consenting parties is married. And, you know, just in case you're here this morning, you go, oh, okay, that doesn't apply to me. I'm checking out. I want you to see what Jesus says about this. In Matthew 5, 27, he says, you have heard it was said, you shall not commit adultery. He is straight out quoting the seventh commandment. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery within what? His heart or her heart. You know, as with murder, as Pastor Terry talked about last week, Jesus is primarily concerned about the heart. Adultery begins as a heart Issue. He's making it clear that the outward act of adultery doesn't start on the outside. It starts on the inside. And the outward act is merely the fruit of what was going on already in the heart. And, if you're, and, and I think what he's saying here is that if you're outwardly innocent but inwardly guilty, you're totally guilty. Jesus is he's wanting our hearts. That's what Jesus is after. He's not wanting just outward Uh, compliance. Continuing with the heart, Jesus says in Matthew 15, 19, 
For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. Now that word sexual immorality in the Greek is the, is the word porneia. And that covers a broad range of sexual sins. Um, everything sexual that isn't solely, everything that, that is sexual that is not solely between a husband and a wife in marriage. So I think what Jesus is, is, is getting at here is that sexual immorality uh, is anything that awakens sexual desire outside of marriage. Anything outside of marriage is forbidden by God. Now, this is, the, this is where you can just hear that is, that is, so, confi- that is so wrong. That is so bad. And, and here's what I want to make sure I'm being clear here. It's not because sex is bad. Okay, we don't want to be a, a culture that you just you get shamed for sex. Sex is a good thing when it's in the right place. Um, God designed it to be experienced and enjoyed solely within the boundaries of marriage. Listen, I'm going to say that again. God designed it that way. That's how God created it to, to work rightly. And, and that He did it from love. And so God wants to, God loves us and He wants to protect us in our marriages. So we've defined adultery, what is, what is marriage? What is, when I'm talking about marriage this morning, what, what are we talking about? Because we need to define that, don't we? Uh, there's a lot of different views of what marriage is in the world today, uh, and it just depends on who you're talking to. Laura Kipnis, an American cultural critic, she wrote this, marriage belongs on the junk heap of human folly. It is an equal opportunity oppressor trapping men and women in a life of drudgery, emotional anesthesia, forgetfulness, and a tug of war struggle to balance vastly different needs. Irvin Cadwallader, a professor from the late 1960s, I think it was 1966 that he wrote this article. He says, The truth as I see it is that contemporary marriage is a wretched institution. It spells the end of voluntary affection, of of, of love freely given and joyously received. Beautiful romances are transmuted into dull marriages, and eventually the relationship becomes constricting, corrosive, grinding, and destructive the beautiful love affair becomes a bitter contract. How about reading that at your marriage uh, ceremony next time? I tell you, um, these views, I, I, in some ways, I kind of get this if marriage is in the wrong, is not being um, executed as God created it to be. There are, there are marriages that are like this. So, and let me, let me just stop here and just say marriage is difficult. Even as we're seeking to follow God, marriage is just difficult on this because after the fall, marriage just became difficult. So I'm not going to stand up here and act like, you know, marriage is so easy if you're just, it's not. Even when we're trying to follow the Lord, it is so difficult. And so there, I, I can see how people have this view because it does take two people 
It really does take two people to be working together with the Lord in order for it to go in the right direction. It really does. It doesn't mean that if, if one person isn't, that you can't still serve the Lord and that your life's over. It doesn't mean that. But I, I, do, I do want to acknowledge that, you know, that marriage is difficult, even when we're, we're all trying to go in the same direction. Um, and this is disheartening that, that there's this, that marriage can be like this. But it reminds me of this, their view reminds me uh, where they're blaming marriage as, as being um, a problem. It reminds me of a story I've told our church before of the guy who, who is just furious. Uh, he brings back his chainsaw to the store, um, and he's furious with the salesman. He says, last week you sold me this chainsaw, and I went home. You said it would help me to, to get a lot of work done. I took it home. It took me eight hours to cut through one piece of wood. Something, and he points at the, the chainsaw and says, something is wrong with this chainsaw. So the salesman takes the chainsaw, he looks at it, he goes in the back, he brings back out some gasoline, and the, the guy's like, and he pours oil in it and gasoline, and he pulls the crank in it, and it starts up. And, and the angry client suddenly goes, what's that noise? The point of that story is, who had the problem? It wasn't the chainsaw. It was the operator. And I think that, you know, that is kind of what it looks like when we're looking at marriage. There's nothing wrong with marriage as it was created by God. It's, it's the operators that are the ones that bring the problems into it. So um, uh, when we properly, prop, when we, uh, when properly understood by both parties in a marriage, Marriage is beautiful, marriage is honorable, and marriage glorifies God. But in order for us to reap the benefits of marriage, we've, we must abide by God's instructions. And he reveals them to us in Scripture. Um, and uh, I want to go to the first marriage ceremony that's found in Scripture. And it's found in, in Genesis chapter 2. And it's the same passage that Jesus when he is reestablishing what marriage is supposed to be like in the New Testament, he points to this passage. So I want to look at that with us together as we're looking at what marriage is. It's uh, Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. God has put Adam into the garden. It says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. And all God's people said, I'm going to say that, read that again. It is not good that a man should be alone. All right. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now, out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper amongst all the animals that was fit for him. Verse 21 says, So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, Whoa, 
this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woe man because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were naked, both naked, and were not ashamed. Now, if we're going to glorify God in our marriages, the first thing that we have to realize is that marriage is God's idea. We have to, we have to understand that. Marriage is God's idea, not man's. Marriage belongs to God. And in order to, for it to function properly, we must realize that we, when we enter into marriage, we are entering into a covenant, not just with the person that we are marrying, but we are entering into an, a covenant with God, where here's what we're pledging in that, in that uh, covenant. We are pledging to uphold the institution of marriage that God himself established at creation. We're saying, God, what you established, we are going to uphold in our marriage. And so that This is crucial to understand. This is crucial for us to understand in our society that we do not have the the right to redefine marriage according to our desires because if we do, it will not work uh, as it was created to work. And so God has established rules. He's established boundaries. He's established laws for marriage that when they are submitted to joyfully in Christ, when we come to God, and we follow him according to what he has created marriage, it brings life in our families and, and in our communities and wherever we are. And there's boundaries that God has given us. And, and, and the first boundary that I see in this passage, the first boundary that I see is that marriage is the union of one man and one female. Very simple. Male and female, he created them. One man and one female. Equal, this is what's beautiful about marriage. Equal, they're equal but they're distinct from each other. They're equal, but they're different. Verse 20 says, There was not found a helper fit for him amongst all the animals. So the Lord God does something. He puts Adam to sleep, and from his rib says he made. You know that word made there? It means, it can also be translated as built. He built a woman. That that. Um, that word built is also used when it's talking about building a city. God took uh, from that ribbon, he built a woman to be Adam's perfect and equal counterpart. Um, they are complementary to one another. Man and, and woman are not designed, uh, are designed to uniquely fit together as complements. So, In other words, if Eve had been identical to Adam, she would not have been a helper fit for him. And so God fashions the rib into a woman, and what does Adam say? He loves it. Finally, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She's like me. I can relate to her. She's equal and yet distinct. So the first thing, The first boundary that God has given us is one man and one woman. The second is that they must leave and cleave. Leaving and cleaving. For for marriage to work, to function as God designed it to function, there must be a leaving and a cleaving. That word, um, therefore a man shall leave. That word leave means to abandon. It means to forsake. 
It says, he shall leave his father and mother, forsaking all others. Doesn't this remind you of the New Testament when Jesus says, if any man would come after me, he must hate his mother, father, brother, sister. you got to forsake. Nothing can come in between. Jesus says, nothing can come in between us if you're going to be my disciple. And this is a similar picture here. We must forsake all others. That means um, anything that could potentially come between the unity of the groom and the bride must be abandoned and removed. That means mom, dad, children, work, friends, personal aspirations that we might have that are apart from our marriage, hobbies, anything, all things except for God must become peripheral. It doesn't mean that, uh, that, that like if you have children, I'm not saying you lock the door and, and don't let them back in but they cannot be in the center between your spouse. And, you know, a spouse, listen, we need to, a spouse should never have to compete with anyone or anything else in this world and wonder who their spouse's love or devotion is for, except for God. He is the only one. So, so leaving, forsaking all others, must occur if, we're, if it's going to be done as God would have it, and then cleaving. Um, our translation says hold fast to. That, that word hold fast means to stick, um, to be welded together. Hold fast to becoming one flesh. Two separate entities being fused together at the deepest level in order to create something different. When a husband and a wife come together, they come together mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, and sexually. Sexually is to come after we've made our vows, after we've committed. That's what is to bind us. That's one of the things that is to bind us together. And what we're saying in those times of sexual intimacy is saying, I'm giving all of me for all of you. That would be a great song, wouldn't it? Let me change the words a little bit. I'm giving all of me in exchange for all of you. To only you for all of time. That's what we're saying in our sexual union. That's what it's meant to be saying. You're the only person that has this access to me. And every time a married couple engages in sexual intimacy, they are, in one sense, renewing their vows that they made to each other on their wedding day. All of me in exchange for all of you to only you for all of time. And that's what that's, that's, that's uh, what sex is meant to do. It's, it's meant to help weld together the two within marriage. But it's amazing how that which is powerful within marriage is also destructive outside of marriage. That's why God says, guard yourself against sexual immorality. Guard yourself about, uh, against adultery. Those things destroy the bond of marriage. Marriage, according to God's original design, is not a prison. According to God's original design, is not a prison. 
It is a fortress of protection to those who choose to joyfully live within its boundaries. I want you to think about this. What would our families be like, um, church, if we guarded our marriages and our sexual intimacy like we guard our bank accounts? What would our churches be like if we upheld marriage as honorable and sacred? How would our city, how would our nation, how would the world be impacted if marriages just did it according to God's design? Um, the heart of God is to protect us. The, the heart of God is, is, is he, he loves us. He wants us to, us to experience life and joy. That's why he gave us in part, that's in part why he gave us marriage. But, you know, there's one, one greater reason that he gave us um, marriage and that he's passionate about it. And that's because marriage is ultimately about his glory. It's ultimately about the gospel. In Ephesians 5, after teaching that a husband is to love, lead, and lay down his life for his wife like Christ did, and that the wife is to submit and, to, and respect her husband as the church submits and respects Christ. After he teaches that in Ephesians 5, Paul quotes Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, what we just read. He quotes this. He says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And then in verse 32 he says, This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it... See that word, it? It's talking about marriage. I'm, talk, I'm saying that marriage refers to Christ and the church. In other words, our marriages, church, listen, our marriages are meant to be living sermons that preach the gospel to the world and within our churches. The way a husband is meant and a wife are meant to interact with each other is meant to display how Jesus, the groom, left his father in heaven, and came down to pursue a bride, to be united to her, and Jesus kept himself pure for us in order that he could lay down his life for us and present us as a spotless and blameless bride. He said, I'm giving all of me in exchange for all of you to only you for all time. That is a picture of the gospel. The gospel teaches us that Jesus, the husband, will never leave or forsake or cheat on his bride and find someone more beautiful than his bride. He will never commit adultery against his bride. He will always be faithful to us. Even when we're not, he is faithful. And so guarded marriages protect and display the wonderful message of the gospel. And I, I want to close by just talking to three groups this morning. Uh, I want to start with those who are what I would say, uh, I'm going to use the word secure. You're in a secure place right now. Because what I've just preached, you, you've not, in, in one sense, you've not violated it in the real world. Um, you have guarded your marriage or you've guarded yourself if you're a young person you've guarded yourself against uh, sexual immorality and um, what I want to 
uh, encourage you is, is if we're going to, if you're going to continue to guard yourself, then I want to encourage you that you're going to need to sow seeds of humility. Uh, one of the worst things that we can, we can do is come to a commandment like this and go, that commandment's not for me. That's for somebody out there. I would never, ever, ever, ever commit adultery. Uh, that has been said many times only to find out that, yes, you would, and you did. We need to guard ourselves against uh, pride of any sin, but we're talking about adultery this morning, of any sin. 1 Corinthians 10, 12, Paul says, Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall, right? Take heed. Humble yourself. Anything, we have the seeds of any sin you see out there, there is a seed in you somewhere that could do the same thing. We need to have humility. We're no better than anybody. So walk in humility because God promises that if we will walk in humility, if we'll walk in faith, if we'll walk in obedience, we will not regret it. Second group I want to talk to is those who are tempted this morning. Right now, maybe as I'm teaching, as I'm sharing these things, you're going, oh, okay, I haven't done that, but I'm very tempted right now to do that. Um, there's someone maybe at the office, they're online, they're at the gym. You have access to someone or something that is leading you down the, the path of sexual immorality. And can I just, can I just tell you something right now? Um, uh, that if you surrender to that temptation, if you give in to that temptation of adultery or sexual immorality, God says, God says, in love and out of warning, he says, you're going to regret it. Um, Proverbs 5, 3 through 4, the Lord says, the lips of an adulteress or an adulterer drip honey. And they're smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged or double-edged sword. Looks good in the beginning, God promises, but in the end, I promise you, you will regret it. Um, so I want to, hopefully I'm giving you a warning, an encouragement to avoid being uh, the wormwood and the double-edged sword that God talks about in, in the scriptures if we violate his laws here. And then the third group I want to talk to this morning is those who have fallen. And um, this is really um, a place where uh, I, I want to have compassion because as I've been sharing this morning, um, you, you are, you're saying, yeah, amen, yes, everything you just said is, is true. What you just shared about regret and the things that God has said in his word, they're true. I know it firsthand. And um, the thing about it is you're, you're, you're filled with remorse. Um, you understand the devastation. And I'm not trying to bring any more guilt upon anyone that's in that place. Um, you, you have enough there. But the t truth is, if you could uh, do it over or if you could uh, find um, healing, you would. And um, the question you may be asking is, you know, where do I go from here? And I just want to share an account in the scriptures where one of the greatest acts of adultery um, is recorded. And it's not in the Old Testament. It's actually in the, the New Testament. And it was committed by one of Jesus' closest disciples. 
whose name was Peter. Now, it wasn't marital adultery, but it was spiritual, which all sin in one sense is adultery, spiritual adultery. It's, a, it's cheating against God when we sin. And if you'll, most of us uh, know the account that on the night of, of Jesus' arrest, they're up in the upper room, and Jesus, uh, Peter is up there boasting about how much he loves Jesus. He loves Jesus more than everybody else. And, you know, he said, uh, I'll, ne- I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Um, I'll go to prison with you. I'll even die with you. And Jesus corrects him and goes, you're right. You're not going to deny me once. You're going to deny me three times tonight. And Peter laughs, right? Well, a few hours later, Jesus is arrested. And Peter's confidence and his laughter turn to cowardice as he flees away from the scene. He eventually comes back, kind of creeps back, and and inches his way into the the courtyard. It's cold, so he's standing around the fire. And let's pick up with Luke chapter 22, verse 56. It says, Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light, and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him, speaking of Jesus. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. In verse 61, this is the verse that always gets me. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. Peter comes to his senses. And he went out and wept bitterly. He went out and wept bitterly. He was taken away by his desires. But then when he saw Jesus, he came to his senses. And maybe that's where you're at this morning. Um, you've come to your senses, and you're weeping bitterly over your sin. And, and like Peter, you're grieved. Uh, you're grieved by your unfaithfulness to Jesus. And you know what? Um, that's a good thing. I, I, I don't want to take you out of that too soon, but that is a good thing, to have remorse. Um, there is a healthy conviction that can help us um, cleanse uh, or, or, or um, need the desire to feel the weight of what we have, what we have done. And, but you know what the good news about this is? And that, that this isn't the end of the story for Peter. Um, Jesus rose again from the dead, didn't he? And you know who the first person he sought? Peter. He went and got Peter. I don't know what he said to him on the first account. And John, at the end, he says, hey, you love me? And Peter's like, I love you. He goes, well, come on back. If you will repent. Know that I'm willing to forgive you, bring you forgiveness. And the thing about it is Peter is reinstated. He's healed. I don't know how long it took, and I don't know long. You know, it's going to take healing. 
uh, if you're in that situation where you, you want to be forgiven. But let me promise, let, let me tell you a promise that God has given. If we will repent of our sin and we will come to him, he is more than willing to forgive you, to cleanse you, and begin to heal you. If we will stay with him, he will heal us. Adultery and sexual immorality are not the unforgivable sins. They are not the unforgivable sins. And if that's you this morning, I just want to encourage you to to come to Jesus and to fall at his feet and receive his mercy, his grace, and his forgiveness and his healing over time. I don't know how long it will take, but God can, I know it, I know it firsthand, God can heal any marriage. There is hope in Jesus. Marriage is a gift from God to his people. It is a fortress of protection to those who choose to joyfully live within its boundaries. So church, let us uphold and honor marriage as sacred and guard it for the sake of the gospel, for God's glory and for our well-being.